Hi, and welcome to the DMBA podcast, where we share business confidence for designers. In this episode, I spoke with my former colleague, Franz Blach. We used to work together at IDEO, and um, now he is a creative director at Pinterest. So I invited him on to talk about different topics, but we mostly kind of touched upon the AI and the role of designers in this new era of uh, yeah design with AI. So yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Franz, welcome to the show. Um, Thanks for having me. You know, there's this funny, funny realization I had this morning, which is when I think of somebody, I usually think of a certain moment with them. Mm-hmm. And you know what this moment is with you? No, what is it? It's us sitting at the, uh, how is this place called? Eating a burger, you know, close to the office. Yeah. Burger with fries. Is it Burgermeister or something? It was Burger House, House, I think. Burger Burger House. House. Yes, yes, yes. That was my favorite meal in Munich. It was. But you had to basically always almost lie down afterwards. It was like like energy and then you ate them and you felt like, okay, I need to go to sleep. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm working for myself, I never eat burger during the day. (laughs) Just too costly. I did it like two weeks back and I was like, oh, my brain is not working anymore. Yeah. Me neither. I tried to avoid it. <laughs> well, it was amazing that you decided to join because uh, I have a really cool topic to to talk about. So basically, AI and the future of design or how did you phrase it? I think you had a very, really nice uh, phrase for it. Yeah, I always like, so normally people talk a lot about the future of design, but I think what people don't talk enough about is about the future of the designer. So I think this idea of like, what's the role of a designer in the AI era? Because yeah. as we all know, there's currently a lot of like excitement, but also hysteria about AI taking all our jobs and stuff like that. So I think that's a cool topic to talk about. For sure. Like when the chat GPT came out, one of the first things that I did was like uh, uh, drop a question in our alumni Slack. So I asked them, hey, how do you feel about it? Like positive, negative? And I was... Honestly, I just expected a lot of like backlash, and like, oh, this is really bad for the design community, and this is gonna take away our jobs, or it's gonna change, uh, it's gonna make people who are not designers think they are designers and so on. But mostly, it was very, very positive. So people were like, no, um, this is gonna help us be more strategic and so on. I guess we'll talk about it, but just like, it's interesting. I was expecting more negative sentiment. So, yeah. uh, how is it with your friends? Like, do you? I feel it, I feel it varies. So like, I mean, like on LinkedIn, I see like both voices. I see the classic, well, you know, AI will take our jobs. And then like some people normally reply with something that is always around the the lines, which is like, AI will not take your job, but somebody using AI will. And I think that's the thing of like, you know, it's just like (laughs) a new tool. And I'm really excited about that. That's the thing. I mean, that's my sentiment. Some people are excited I'm still a little bit, personally, I'm a little bit disappointed what people use it for. You know, it's still, most of the stuff you see like, hey, I built this superhero portrait of myself in oh, mid-journey yeah. <laughs> using ChatGPT for a better prompt. And I'm like, is that really the kind of, is that the most wicked problem you have to say, solve today? So that's the thing that I'd love to do designers more. True. Have you tried using it yourself already? I mean, you, you definitely have. So like, what, what did you do? I mean, honestly, I did. I tried to test various things of very like factual things, uh, copywriting, lyrics writing for a song, like honestly, like more poetic things. 
And I, I mean, the cool thing is like everybody goes through this revelation where like first they're like, oh my God, this is really powerful. And then they're like, yeah, but it's also false at times. And they're like, oh my God, this is bad. And then they come back yes. to, it's just another tool and it's good for some things and not good for other things. And I'm at this point where I feel like when I need it, I think I know what to use it for. Same with mid-journey and other tools, but I also still know when to open Photoshop or just a text editor and write things myself. Right. I think now I'm in this dip. Like I was super excited. I saw it came out. I was like, wow, this changes everything. And obviously I did what everybody did, like open chat GPT, start testing it. And if you just look at the surface, it looks amazing. Like, oh, this is really good. But then I tried to apply it to, you know, my work. And I was like, okay, why don't you write this for me? You know, I mostly use it just for copy. So why don't you write... I don't know what was it, an email or whatever, and make it a little bit funny. Yeah. And it just always felt wrong. You know, like when you go into the details, when you have a very specific tone of voice that you're trying to follow as a company or as a person, it's just like, uh, for example, I told, told it, uh, hey, write this, but make it funny. And then the way ChatGPT brought out the f- the, the joke was basically a really like that joke. It was a bad joke. It was like, <laughs> okay, thanks. I'm not going to use this. And then the second time I was like, okay, this, is, this isn't working, ChatGPT, sorry. Let me actually write this for you. And I'm just going to ask you to rewrite it. Yeah. And again, it was bad. I, I was like, okay, so maybe I'm not sure how to use it. Um, so I asked a few friends and it seems that the best results that they had was like uh, for a topic that they didn't have a very strong opinion on. Mm. So there was a friend, like he's a marketing freelancer and he has a client who asked for a branding, mission, vision statement. And then I was like, it's a clean slate. So it was like ChatGPT did amazing. Just come up with a mission and vision. Um, so then it worked. But for us, like who already has such a maybe strong point of view, it's like, yeah. you're not there yet, buddy. Yeah, you're not. And I think, again, there are two thoughts like that come to mind. One is just like, I mean, if you look just on what ChatGPT is trained on, then you understand why it like has this sort of humor, you know, like it feels like exactly like something that's trained on Wikipedia and Reddit. And it's just like, it's this kind of humor that comes out. It's a little bit of like old web to dead joke humor. And that's what it knows, right? That's all what it knows. And I think what's interesting on, on your second point about your friend that uses it on something that is, that is like he doesn't know so much about, I think is on the one hand that it's more convincing. On the other hand, it's also more dangerous territory because it's much easier that it honestly fools you and you're like, yeah, this sounds right. You know, I don't know anything about quantum exactly. physics. And you're like, that sounds convincing. And it's like, it's totally wrong. So I think that's the stuff that's, that's interesting. On this topic, have you seen the Google's release of their, I mean, just a demo of their AI? Yeah. Uh, and have you seen the mistake that it made? No. So somebody on tweet uh, on Twitter actually pointed out that uh, the bot, when they asked him something about something about astronomy, I, I'm not sure exactly, but it gave the wrong data point. So um, something about a certain satellite made the first image outside of our solar system. And then the, the physicists and the astronomers were like, hey, this is wrong. <laughs> yeah. And the problem right now is like, there is no sources. So you can't really go and check it. Yeah. Um, which is, I, 
But at the same time, I have to realize this is just kind of the beginning. So the it potential is. is so huge and it's definitely the future. But I mean, I think what's interesting is like, because just what you mentioned now again is like, I would wish that designers almost already take those, I mean, think those two s steps ahead. You know what I mean? Like it's very likely that literally every single browser company on this planet is working on a plugin to detect things that are generated by an AI. Because, you know, I think it will be a solved problem, but we're so much in the moment of like, oh my God, Bing just included ChatGPT and search and querying is becoming the same thing. What is Google doing? And you're like, every day there's a new thing. And I almost feel like, can we just, can you think at least two months ahead when some of those things will settle? Yeah. And then think about what do people want to do? Because people's needs and people's behaviors are not changing every week, number one. And then there's new interesting strategic problems coming up, which we should prepare for and solve for, right? And that's the, I, I just really hope that we get over this, you know, again, like now I'm jumping back more to mid journey, DALI 2, all of those things. Like, I hope we get beyond that the best we can do is rendering a unicorn playing tennis with this amazing technology, right. you know, mm -hmm. and just solve some really important problems. We have whatever, big climate problems. We have like, you know, like we have a ton of like, we want to solve the circular economy. You know, there's a ton of things where machine learning and AI can help us to tap into amazing sources of knowledge to solve those wicked problems, which is very hard for our brains individually to do. And that's, I think, an interesting use then of this technology. Hmm, that's interesting. My mind always went into like, okay, AI is going to do really well with well-defined, not like really well-defined problems, but at least like well-defined constraints, which is like, hey, create me an image, write me a copy, get this data and compare it. But now you're bringing up like, it could kind of help us solve big, hairy challenges like climate change. Yeah. Do you think you really can do this? So what I think it can do, and that almost, I think, ties a little bit also into the DMBA thing of like, you know, strategic thinking, systemic thinking, you yeah. know, that, that you almost like, as a designer, can almost start to modularize certain things and like, say like, oh, those are the, all the problems. And I think that machine learning can help us to solve much more complex problems. And honestly, if, if that's something, a tool we all can have, how amazing, right? And then yeah. it's... Obviously, the shiny thing is it can create, I don't know, a watercolor portrait of you, Ellen, and you're like, oh, this is cool because it's yeah. visual, we're a visual culture, fine, but it's just like it gets your attention and you're like, I get it. But I think there's so many other things that machine learning especially can help us. And uh, I mean, I think I told you on one of our uh, earlier calls is um, that I'm also advising a, a startup that's working in, uh, in the food sector, you know, climate-friendly climate right. food. So they do cherry, uh, dairy and cheese. And they, again, they use machine learning to come up with, like, they can do experiments that normally would have taken, I don't know, five years. And with the help of ML models, they can just dial it down that they only really test and prototype the things that are not already solved. I mean, that's exactly, that's a designer's mindset. Like, that's the strategic yeah. mindset. It's like, what are the things we know? What are the constraints we have? And that's what's the opportunity space? And I think that's where it really can shine. Is this, is this startup actually building its own AI or is it kind of plugging into an existing 
capability. It's, it's using its own because also uh, Oliver, Oliver Zahn, who's, who's kind of founded it, it's called Climax Foods, if you want to look it up. And uh, he, he led uh, data science at Google before. And he's just like, I mean, he's a master of machine learning. So they almost need to build their own ML yeah. model to understand. Because again, I mean, he explained it to me like really simply. I was like, that, that makes sense. Like if you look at like classic dairy production, it's like, you know, you have basically grass. So a very non-biodiverse entry point yeah. into an operating system, which is the cow, to process it into milk and then cheese, right? I mean, like, so you have a very boring input, a very like hardwired processing and then you have one kind of cheese that we know and i mean if you even look at it and and tell yourself that you're drinking the mother milk of an impregnated other mammal it's really weird and he basically yeah. just said like okay we can now use three hundred thousand edible plants from all over the world come up with digital recipes and like an ml model that combines them to look at texture taste nutrition and come up almost with a magnitude of milks and cheeses that have the same quality and are better, cheaper, and environmental friendly. And that's the thing where we're like, wow, that's a that's really cool. good use of ML models, right? Yeah. So what, how are they training their machine learning machine? <laughs> so what, what's the inputs? Is it like recipes or recipes with, I don't know, the nutritional value and then it tells AI, hey, can you come up with 10 other variations of this? Or like, I honestly think, I mean, I have to dig deeper. Like I'm not a, you right. know, I'm not a data scientist or and like you, food scientist. you don't want to share the confidential data. No, right? and else like he didn't tell me, but I think like, at least from yeah. an abstract standpoint, what I get is like, there's obviously a lot of like white papers and just like things that what people tried out, there's certain proteins, certain things, you know, they go well with each other and they just use it almost again, as their companion to experiment. It's almost like they have somebody who's just like working much faster and can run a million experiments while you just can run one. And they just decide sure. on what's, what's, what's the thing we really need to test, right? It's again, like strategies, like what are the things that are known? What are the things you need to de-risk or try yeah. out and prototype? That's what they do. What's interesting about this Climax startup is that they're building their own uh, machine learning system because... What I see happening right now is like everybody is just taking chat GPT and putting a different lipstick on top of it. I know. Which from the business design perspective, it means like you're just working with the same data set like everyone else. Yeah. And I think the only way to, if now we step in the shoes of somebody who's starting an AI startup, like the real way to have a differentiation is to have your own training data set. Yeah. That's super expensive. It takes a lot of time to do it. But that's where the biggest benefit is going to be. Because also things you bring up, like, hey, we want to work on the climate change and stuff. That's probably not something that GPT is going to help you with, but it's going to be like completely new company coming up with like, hey, we need to feed this monster with all this data Absolutely. to find a solution. Absolutely. And I mean, I think you're touching on something that I hope will be like a next generation of those models, which are a little bit more personalized. You know, it could, for example, there could be a... Ellen AI that knows your humor and just understands by analyzing like, you know, just a more bespoke version that it becomes the best augmentation and amplification of what you want to do. The same thing, honestly, might be true for designers. You know, there could be a whole, let's call it style and taste economy of saying like, you know, I basically train a model 
on my taste and my yeah. style and my knowledge. And there might be a whole taste and style economy emerging where people are like, hey, Franz, I want to design a sneaker, but in your style. And I'm like, sure, use my, my, taste, my taste AI. And I get, I don't know, I get a cut in, it's a new franchise model. And, and that's, mm. the, I think the, all of those things, I'm more optimistic around all the opportunities. Obviously, don't get me wrong, there's stuff, especially in creative AI, that needs to be solved. And it's, one of that is like, for example, attribution. You know, there's something rightfully so that there's an uproar of people being like, hey, this machine is just literally ripping off what I did and for nothing. And there's a balance there. I mean, like, I think we've all, we all as visual creatures absorb things, combine them and kind of in a way steal them and merge, making our own. Yeah. But I still think there's, there's an in-between. I think there's a version where you, where you could have more attribution. You could even have like micro payments to people. I think there's honestly a future where it's not one or the other. And that's something also designers could work on. You know, what's the Web3 version of a kind of creative AI? That's a cool brief. I'd love to build that company. I think a lot of uh, VCs will also like to fund this. Now you're mentioning two hot words, AI and Web3. So it's yeah. like, oh, here's 20 million France. Yeah. Go build it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just need to use the, 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 the key terms. Yes, yeah. the buzzwords, exactly. Um, I think this is going to be now a huge also boost for the economy. Like, uh, I think this came at a really good time, like from the perspective of how the macroeconomic picture looks like. Now there is an AI optimism, the wave. I think that's going to do a lot of good. Um, but yeah, you mentioned this attribution thing, right? So how 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 do you see this working? So would the AI then know, okay, this was created by France, this was created by, I don't know, Charlotta, and then, you know, it would, if it got inspired, if it got inspired by you to create that other thing, would it pay you some money? Like, I mean, honestly, as I'm not, you know, as I'm not a data scientist and I never train an ML model, <laughs> I mean, like, in an abstract word, and I also know, like, that ML models don't work, like, one-to-one. -one. It doesn't take, like, hey, here's France, yeah. here's Charlotta, and here's Alan, let's create one of those three. But in my, at least in my fantasy, there would be something that the model trains itself, but almost keeps a little bit of a, and it could be a blockchain-based, but some kind of track of where did it get the thing from. And once it creates something, it's almost like a percentage slider of like, you know, it might be like that it's 0.01% influenced by Alan. Mm -hmm. And again, if Nike decides to build a sneaker with that thing, and they sell it, there might be a micro-attribution of 0.01% going to Alan. Right. Like, that's a very like, hardwired thing, and most likely every machine learning expert would be like, Franz, what are you talking about? But in my fantasy, <laughs> at least, there would be something more philosophically, and from a human standpoint, that would be desirable, that people yeah. get attributed for contributing. And the same like how science worked. You know, people in white papers say, Nobody's like, oh my God, you stole my white paper. People are like, oh, you used my white paper and you yeah. built something on top. Great. But I think we need a model like that. Have you seen the minor backlash that uh, uh, GitHub's uh, co-pilot had? Mm -hmm. So it's so the GitHub basically created their own AI yeah. and just took all the code that yeah. everyone was contributing because it was kind of open source in a way. And now it's they use it to train their model. So there was some backlash from the uh, developers there, but I haven't seen this from the designers yet. So um, 
But this also brings me to, you know how like 10 years ago, oh, I don't know how long, like five, I don't know, when we discussed like data is the new oil. Yeah. And at that moment, it just felt funny. Like, no, it's not. Mm. <laughs> but now you can really see like the companies and yeah, the companies that have a lot of data, user data, for example, in design space, this could be Dribble. It yeah. could also be, yeah, Pinterest. It could also be, um, I don't know, Adobe, Figma, and so on. So they have such a huge advantage at this stage um, to to kind of build out this attribution if you yeah. want to build it out. I agree. But if, and, uh, but again, I think especially for those companies, and the GitHub like, blowout also shows that. If you create something that feels like an open platform, similar to, whatever, to Wikipedia and stuff like that, and then you use it and almost like centralize it back, because that's, again, like coming back with, with the Web3 philosophy of like, if it's a distributed open system, that is amazing. If the, then one company against it, like I'm training this, and for this moment, I'm almost like owning it and baking it, yeah. then I think it will become problematic if there's no kind of tracking back and that's uh, just I mean again an ama- I feel like a, isn't that a des- an amazing design brief to work against yes it is you know it, redesigning it's really attribu- hard, redesigning but... or reimagining originality and attribution another one will be like redesigning truth you know this idea of like it has never been easier to create deep fake pictures videos texts and honestly True. the internet will be flooded with more fake mediocre content because it's just like you give the tool to people nobody can blame them that they use it now already i mean linkedin is close to unusable because everybody just puts like a very mediocre mid journey rendering up there and i'm like can somebody like contribute something meaningful because i don't need to see another nike sneaker rendered in corals under the sea with a dragon on top it's just like the fun you never use LinkedIn to make a UI decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So where do you see? So the the role of designers should change, right? With yeah. this. So how do you see it evolving? How do you ch- see it changing? How should each design individually prepare for the change? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we talked about that. Like also back in the days, always at in abundance. I think there's some level of strategic thinking that every designer needs to have because it is, now it's about choice making, right? That's the thing that designers become really good at. For example, talking about your buddy who like creates a vision statement, he still needs to be the one who says, this is the right vision statement that strategically supports the company, which has this capabilities, this competitive edge to be successful. If it's just a vision statement, which is like, sounds good, it's not helpful. And that's the, that's the thing where I feel like that's one aspect designers need to get even better at. And I think have, like they have the tendency of being good at that. The other one is systemic thinking. You know, like also the uproar of people, we designed design system and now like AI is basically using it against us. And like that was the whole point, right? It's almost like you build a design system because you want to make yourself obsolete. You want to design yes. something that almost can design itself. Amazing job. You created a real design system that knows the constraints. And then you can still look. Honestly, if Figma would allow me to give me 15, I don't know, dashboards of XYZ, great. I still need to make the strategic decision. Taking human problems and needs, my understanding, to make a decision. Because people, people say, oh my God, DALI 2 creates amazing logos. I'm out of business. If that's your problem, that it kind of 
can assemble beautiful shapes and type, I don't think you've done a proper job to begin with, right? Because you still need to decide what's the right logo for this company of all of those solutions. So it's almost like an opportunity for for the broader design community to take the next step. You know? yes. So it's more like, hey, we don't have to do stuff anymore. There is somebody else going to do this for us. Uh, its name is AI. But we can just make decisions, right? Which, which is kind of liberating, but also frightening at the same time because it comes with a baked-in... Uh, threat that non-designers will be like, hey, I can design myself. Why do I need you, Franz, to tell me? I, I know, I have my taste, you know, I'm going to choose yeah. the one I like. I mean, to be fair, I think like for middle-of-the-road solutions, that will be a truth. And I don't think th this has been a truth also with, you could say, is Squarespace uh, AI? No, it's not. But it's like a, f a version of like templated design, which is pretty good. I mean, yeah. the same thing of if you talk about trends and visual trends, look at Dribble. It basically creates, because so many people have access to the same stimulus, it tends to create a sea of sameness. It almost creates a universal style. You know, suddenly everybody yeah. uses this type. So I think there's also an opportunity for designers to almost become really original and almost artistic. And I would not believe that I, I myself say this because I'm also of this kind of generation who said like design is functional and has nothing to do with art but now it's almost this thing of like you're very particular edgy weird artistic expression might be something that again becomes really really interesting and how amazing if you're now a painter but you can also be a sculpturer and you can design i don't know an e-scooter through a software but still with yeah. your expression and view of the world i think that's a pretty cool thing to do so it almost feels like the role is changing from being a creator to being like a curator, you know? So we will need to come up with really good prompts, obviously do good research, but then like if the AI is generating different options, then we can kind of just curate yes. the, the solution. Curate, curator and choice maker, right? I mean, like, and, and it is, I mean, curation is choice making, right? I think that's true. And also let's not fool ourselves like the like when this technology is coming out everybody's always like oh and there will be no creative anymore it's like yes there will and honestly let's also not forget sometimes there's also just a joy of creation and a way of like us creating something together which honestly sometimes also takes time there's the value of the two of us would work on a logo it might be like just visually if you look at it it might be the same logo we come up that an ai came up in two seconds but there's more buy-in, there's something in the collaboration and trust that we yeah. build. And all of this stuff is like, that will not go away, right? It's not, that's the thing of like, AI will automate everything. It's like, no, it will not. It will just not. No, I think in the end, we will still need to tell AI what to do and kind of make decisions because, yeah, like AI can give you different options, but you need to know what's the right thing for you, you know, yeah. the choice, the strategic choice. Is my brand going to be more inviting, more like premium and so on? So that's yeah. still a decision that, at this stage and probably for a long time, AI is <clears throat> not going to be able to make. Yeah. Unless we have an AI that can plug in, plug in all the data from like, oh, I actually talked to the users and this is what I want. And I talked to the stakeholders and this is what I want. Yeah. But then we almost talk about general AI, which is like uh, yeah. intelligence that can understand itself and us better than we can. Yes. And also, I mean, that's then a next step. And obviously that's like, let's have another conversation when that happens but there's also the element that i feel 
One interesting like moment I had with playing around with Dali 2 and, and other things is just the thing I got most inspired about is when it made a mistake because it took me out. Like it didn't do what I wanted to do. It's almost, you know, it, and that mimicked this idea of almost it had a mind of its own. And honestly, it stimulated me. Like some people were totally upset of like, oh, whatever. People have eight fingers. And I'm like, wow, cool. I have not. Wow. You now show me how people look with eight fingers. That does something to mm. my mind. You know, this thing of like stretching your comfort zone, challenging your assumptions just through a random mistake, I think is really interesting because we're so controlling sometimes and also so controlled. And to be fair, also like pretty predictable in our choices. You know, like it's like if you come out together with a couple of designers and you've been around the block for a while, the likelihood you know what's coming out there is pretty yeah. high. So why can't we see... throw in AI to kind of do some weird, just create randomness, create chaos, create creative chaos for us and be like, oh, cool, this is interesting. I would have not thought about that. And designers like to say, hey, we're not predictable with that. If you see a, <laughs> I don't know, 30-ish uh, boy or girl in Berlin in a black T-shirt, it's probably a designer, right? So... <laughs> Yeah. certainly that's that's why you're wearing the black and i'm wearing the kind of color you are different yeah brand <laughs> um you know what's also i was thinking about this the other day is that um you know now we have this distinction between handmade and something made with computer yeah so okay this is handmade it's a painting you know like it has a certain like feeling to it and it was just handmade or computer made but now i think we're gonna have three things there's going to be handmade there's going to be ai made and it's going to be human made with computer yeah so the things that somebody will actually take their mouse and like draw the lines in figma or whatever tool they're using is just going to be much more valuable maybe and, and as it was until now at least in perception wise compared to the ai yeah. You know, there's going to be this component of people asking is this ai made or is it human made and maybe some people are going to even use it to like you know make to sell stuff. Yeah. Like, hey, this was actually human-made graphic design, not AI-made. Yeah. But stuff I, mean, like that. I think that's a fascinating thought. And it's also something where, where you then get to this whole thing of like discussing about value. You know, is it more valuable because it took longer? Because to be fair, I mean, like some of those paintings, like if you look at an old Rembrandt, you sometimes just look at it and you're in awe of like at that time, giving the social environment, giving the technology they had, you're like, this is amazing. And obviously now you can teach, at a certain point you can teach an AI to most likely create something that understands the, the style and does something that looks a little bit like Rembrandt. But we have this feeling of like a certain degree of dedication and passion and time, which honestly is, time is the most precious resource every of us, we all have, right? Yeah. It's, it, that's our life. So if you spend 10 hours of, of something, it has a certain value because you basically gave 10 hours of your life, the most precious yeah. thing you have to this cause. And it also has more value for you. And that's the whole thing. Does it have more objective value, commercial value? No, it doesn't, most likely. Does it have more creative value? To be discussed. But mm. I think that's where it's getting interesting. And I would also love, because you talked about those three categories, Yeah, I would love to see something that when AI really starts or when AI stops to mimic human creation and starts to create 
computer creation. You know, like when it almost has its own aesthetic. Because I compared with, with, for example, synthesizers back in the day. You know, like obviously now there's like a ton of synthesizers that can mimic the perfect. I don't know, bass, and strings, and a and a Grand Steinway piano. But what I love synthes- synthesizers for is that they have a digital, weird, synthesized sound, right? Yeah, and that's what I, yeah. what I love about it. It's, it's a machine and it sounds like a machine. AI currently doesn't design like a machine, but it could. What would that look like? And I think that's an interesting new category as well. That's interesting. This reminds me of, I think, Dead Mouse. Like, he spent millions yes. on these, like, machines yes. to have those, like, most primitive in air quotes, primitive like computer sounds so he can create different sounds than other DJs. So what would be the primitive graphic design for a computer? Is it just like black and white? That's the most basic thing. It's an on and off pixel, right? No, I think it's more complex. I think it's just, it might be more amorphous. It might honestly, like, for example, the thing of like designing seven fingers hands could almost be like an, I would see it as an expression of AI, you know, it's almost like a weird thing to do, and it's like, oh, it's like a signature. It's your signature. It's like Andy Warhol had the signatures. You know, like it's almost like an artistic expression of like, like or you know, the Simpsons all have. I think they have four fingers, right? Like you know, there's just like, and why can't AI just design everything with fifteen fingers? I mean, that's a cool thing to do. And then you might have an Nike might have an athlete campaign with I don't know a merge of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Le- LeBron, and like just with yeah. 18 fingers and you're like oh this is cool that's an ai version i love that honestly i don't think it only needs to be pixels and primitive i just think it needs to live up to what it is but do you think the ai can create this itself or does it still need to be like i need a front at the back of this telling me hey you need to create your own signature it's not like ai is going to come up with like oh i need to create my own signature it's like it go back to this to this idea you had in the in the middle of the show, which you said like, oh, there's gonna be I don't know Franz Blach aesthetics, and you can just kind of buy my AI to do it. And this is how I see this same signature of like, oh, now designers are gonna be creating, not necessarily. So design could move from hey, I create this specific thing for you, but essentially I I actually am creating a collection of things that are really weird that's plugged in into this AI and you can use it to create a weird graphic of your own yeah. out of it. No, and honestly, I think it is, it will be trained, but I, I almost see like, think about it like synthesizers or, you know, there's drum machines, you know, there's famous sounds, whatever, the 808 or 909, and they have a characteristic sound due to the yeah. limitations. And I would love to see, potentially it's like wine and you say like, hey, I'm using a 2023 Dali, Dali 2 on that, you know? And you might be like, oh, it has certain flaws and characteristics that create an aesthetic. And I think that's super interesting. And that brings me back to almost like, it could be a Web3 moment where you almost like, you timestamp certain things and say, I want to have a Dali 2 Y2K aesthetic, you know? Like, I mean, it didn't exist back then, but you know, there's a lot of like, you know, culture and time are connected and i feel like we sometimes treat treat ai like it's a fluent thing and it's just ever evolving why not have like certain aesthetics that come with a certain cultural vibe and potentially it's just a moment right i mean like as it learns from the past Mm. it can only be like it might reflect the current aesthetics the most and it might be like a moment of time and if you want to use it use it you know you could say like franz blach in 
2021. And hopefully it's different than Franz Bloch in 2025. <laughs> Otherwise, I need to challenge myself. As well. <laughs> yeah. So in this respect, I think we the creative process feels kind of similar because we humans also take like inspiration from stuff that has already been created and we kind of just remix it. We get inspired. We kind of do something new. And that's kind of what we're doing with AI, but it just feels like right now it's like just too limited in terms of I just, you're going to use these photos to make this. And the one big difference that we as humans do is like, I take an idea from another field, mm. from architecture, from... I don't know, from medicine, from yes. automotive, and we can bring it into something else. And they are like, oh, no, I just get 10 million photos uh, into my brain and I just then start plugging millions of photos out here. Yes. So that's going to be interesting if you can kind of also tell the AI to make those jumps Absolutely. You know, between different fields. And on that, so I think like, so two things. One, if in the design process, you know, like, I mean, we're, we're all big believers in collaboration, but normally like teams are, Let's say we're five people. So we have five different data points, almost like neural networks that come together and make a decision, which is a little bit of a primitive form of making a decision. But nevertheless, it's a unique setup. You can feel there was Ellen, Franz, Charlotta, whatever, like involved. And you can almost feel it like a band. You know, like bands mm. use the same instruments, but they sound different because it's like different people bringing in different things. The problem with current AI models is like, they train on such a big, massive data set that it almost becomes a shade mm. of gray, right? It's like everything, everything becomes the same because I don't see that there was an image uploaded from Alan because you're just yeah. like one small data point. The thing that I feel is more interesting even than that is what you mentioned as a second point, which is this. Just imagine if you have whatever, a healthcare project, and you can tap into a machine learning model, not a visual creative one, but one that is deeply trained in solving, I don't know, a complex medical issue. Or mm -hmm. take urban planning, a super complex thing of like so many factors. I mean, if you could tap into the knowledge of all the urban planners that ever lived on this planet and work with yeah. that, I would sign up for that immediately. I mean, like that's so much better than me reading like 10 books from, Chris, uh, uh, from Christopher Alexander and be like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And the result probably probably isn't New York, right? It's something else. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Um, what about the new roles of design? So, like, I think this is going to create new roles for designers. I think we kind of touched upon a few already, but one that we didn't and I think could be super interesting is, I don't know, I just dubbed it as a um, prompt interface designer. Mm -hmm. You know, when Amazon Alexa came out, it was kind of, oh, there's a new role. It's called voice user interface design, right? Yeah. And right now, the a lot of people are struggling. I wouldn't say struggling, but like, I mean, it's very easy to use ChatGPT, right? You just type in stuff and you get it out. But when you get frustrated with the result, that's when you're like, I know. okay, what do I do now? Do I use Dash and then learn and then I put in something? Or like, <laughs> I know. You know, and I think this is going to be interesting, like human to machine uh, problem okay. that should be designed like this prompt interface 100 percent. i mean it's interesting because like immediately when dali 2 came out there have been also like there was the i think people coined it as like prompt engineers and there were even platforms yeah. that that sold prompts because people were like oh my god instead of buying an image again it's similar to the style economy of like you know i buy somebody who's really that's a craft like crafting mm. a prompt my push there would be 
can we make the interface more human? You know, that you basically, it's just voice-based, you talk to it, and it's just like, it's almost a conversation, similar to what you could have, like, with ChatGPT at this moment. And at a certain point, it just understands you, because currently it feels very clumsy, and it feels like you need to speak the language of the machine. And now, mm -hmm. it's almost, like, ironical that then people use ChatGPT, another AI, to say, I mean, I just did it yesterday. I typed into ChatGPT again, like, help me write an amazing prompt for mid-journey doing this. <laughs> and it wrote me one, and I'm like... Cool. Now I'm telling a machine. It, it's like a translator. It's like I don't speak proper mid-journey. Yeah. Can you translate? Interesting. And did it work? Yeah, it worked. It worked amazingly because obviously it knows what it's trained on. It's even better if you use Dali too because both are like open AI based. But it's, I mean, try it out. It's really amazing. And some of the prompts you would feel like, come on, that will not work. And then you put it in and like, oh, it works. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, I, I was more, honestly, I was more surprised that the language felt almost like more human, you know, that chat GPT was, you know, I wanted to create this kind of psychedelic, yeah. uh, almost like what the Beatles had for Yellow Submarine illustration for a birthday card. Yeah. And I was writing it more like, you know, like a machine, be like, surreal illustration, simplistic, many colors. And then I gave it to chat GPT and it wrote like, Things are floating in the air, merging with each other. And I'm like, this wow. sounds like a poem. And it worked so much better. And this is so interesting because I think we've been trained by Google yeah. to just type in like keywords. Just gave me like, I, like when I'm talking to Google, I'm not saying like, hey, uh, my kid has a fever, blah, blah, blah. I just type in kid, fever, symptom, whatever, whatever yeah. I don't know. And then like I get a good result. But now we have to kind of almost untrain ourselves to be like, I need to write a full sentence yeah. in a way that's even like painful. It's like, I just want to give you <laughs> the keywords, but I do understand how this could lead. I mean, it should lead to better results because it has just more context it has. for the machine and to, honestly, to give I you the result. It's painful because I'm, again, typing is already like something that doesn't come natural. Then we learned, it's a syntax, right? You learned a language to teach, to know how to get to results in Google. And I think it will become more conversational. I think the thing that is an interesting paradigm shift for humans to understand, also with, you know, what Google is now steering towards, Bing is steering towards that, this idea of search and generation, generating things might become the same thing. Because that's a little bit of like, you know, if I search something, I assume it has been done before. Mm. There might be some, you know, it's like, a body of work that has been proven, just like that's the thinking that I feel we have culturally. Right. If it now basically could also just generate results on the go, it's a weird in-between. And it obviously, like, I mean, people wrote a lot about what are the kind of downsides of, like, you know, again, like, designing for truth and misinformation, but it's an interesting paradigm change that you just have this box and you can just tell it to create a picture, find me a picture, find me a recipe, Design a recipe. Understand my taste. You know, it's almost like all of those things suddenly become closer to what we could have as an experience. Franz, if you wouldn't have a job right now, if you would be starting a startup, I'm, I'm going to talk about myself first, but I, I definitely would go into like AI. It just seems so obvious that now is the right time and it's that thing. It's, it's not even, I think, a hype. This is a thing that's going to change the next 20, 30, 50, 100 years. Did you already think about any ideas of like products for AI? Like 
specifically maybe for the design community of what we would need? I mean, there are some, like some of them, obviously like I can't talk about, but some of them like, I mean, sure. just, and we talked about, you know, a style economy. I think there's a ton of things <clears> where <throat> just like from an econ- economy standpoint, there's a ton of like interesting tools. And mm. I mean, for somebody who like is trained in like vision making and just like thinking a few steps ahead, it's, it's pretty, I mean, the same thing for media. I mean, the whole attention economy where people just like want to look at stuff for 15 seconds. I mean, AI will play a big role of just like creating on the spot stuff that's just tailored to you, right? It's tailored yeah. to your taste. Is that a good thing? Is that the best use of AI? I don't think so. Quite honestly, I don't think it's the best use. If I would start a startup, I would use AI and ML models to almost look at the social development goals and have a fresh spin. It's almost like take any one of those like SDGs and be X AI. How do I solve right. world hunger? How do I solve cleaner water? How do I solve electricity distribution? You know, there's so many things where I'm, I know as a designer, I was always drawn towards those, but I'm like, I'm not a scientist. Oh my God, it's such a big problem. And my hope would be that we find almost AI problems that can be trained on those sub-problems and then be leveraged for that. You know, you could just say like, hey, I subscribe to food AI or hunger AI and build something on top of that. Yeah, that would be really cool. Do you know of anyone already working on this? I don't think anybody, I don't know that anybody works on it, but I know, for example, with, you know, Oliver and Climax Food is an example where I just got exposure to being like, I mean, when he, he's like, a leading data scientist, astrophysicist, you know, leading biologists in the field. And they all, they all say like what we're doing now within days would have taken us years. And those are like some of wow. the best scientists there is. And I'm like, if you're saying that, I mean, like, what does that mean for me? You know, I mean, for me, it sometimes it takes me a year to save a math equation of my daughter. So like, what would it, like, <laughs> you know? I just think there's a really lot of potential of just making really applied science, you know, making science applicable and not, I mean, I know visual tools are interesting and I'm coming back to the rendering a unicorn playing tennis and then creating a 3D model of it and a video is like, nice. I hope we don't stop there. It's much more interesting to train something that helps you to solve really wicked problems. And there's a ton of them. Again, circular economy, climate change, energy distribution, micro-mobility solutions, urban planning. I don't know, so many. I mean, like, that's the amazing part. We're in the most, we're in a moment where things change and we have this technology that we can use to come up with better solutions. That's, that must be the headline. Yeah, I think it's, because the examples we see right now are maybe so one-dimensional in terms of the AI, like there's very specific AI startups out there that do just one thing. I don't know if there's a thing called Jasper, just helps you write copy. Yeah. There's many others who just focus on one thing. It's almost like we don't dare to dream about these like bigger, yeah, more complex problems. But more, maybe it's also just we just need more data to train them. Or maybe we just need like one example. That's usually what it takes. One example of that, like... Uh, famous example that kind of you know shows that this is possible and then more people will follow because you know we're people we're lazy and like hey let's just use chat gpt and put our lipstick on top and let's just do something with yeah. it 
Um, so have you have you actually seen how the developer mode of the chat GPT looks like? No, I haven't seen it. So there is like, you know how in Figma you have these like sliders to change mm-hmm. brightness and stuff. Oh, right, so it's right, the right, same yeah, thing yeah. there, right? Okay, so you that's can, what like, I mean. change yeah. certain parameters, and then you get different results. And this is essentially what these startups, startups are doing. Yeah, I know. Just tweaking those t- 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 things to kind of give it a different output there. Absolutely. I mean, that that, I, that I've seen. And also, I mean, that's also true for, you know, stable diffusion. Like, I mean, all of those models yeah. have those basically parameters that they're trained on and that it can almost like increase, decrease. And But even with that, you know, like, yes, people are now training it for very spe- specific things. And the next step obviously will be that people will stitch those things together, you know, and, and people are already doing it now. It's like you can create a nice marketing video by writing the copy on this tool, whatever, having a, a speaker, an artificial voice saying it here, creating a video. But, I mean, I'm super excited about that because, yeah. like, there are so many times that I had to go back and re record a part of the podcast. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's just one little bit. Yeah. And now it's like there's a uh, startup that just you upload, I don't know, 10 hours. Yeah. Not even 10 hours. I think you, you just have to speak. 50, 60, 70 words. Yeah, I know. And based on this, you just type in, I don't know, Alan is talking to France and then an AI would create this in my voice. I know. And I could just plug it into this uh, post in post-production and just be done with it. And I remember like five years back when I was starting with podcasting, I just re-recorded so many things. I know. And, you know, and like I had to use the same sentence 10 times to get the same like volume and I don't know, tone of voice and stuff. Yeah. It was just... Horrible. And that's again like, but that's what I mean. Like, I think what it takes is that, that at least you are owner of your voice because like where, again, the discussion currently is like boiling yeah. up is if people like, you know, did Bruce Willis really kind of give all his rights of his facial expressions to X, Y, Z? Can I use the, le- like the, the voice of Morgan Freeman to talk to you? Because I'm obviously the whole deep fake aspect of it in a visual culture like ours, if I would like get a phone call from your voice saying like, yeah. hey, France, I'm stuck. Can you help me? I would be like, oh, this is Alan. You know, like there's, there are all of those things. And unfortunately, as a human yeah. species, we also tend to sometimes abuse fall those technologies it. and fall for those things. But ultimately, I want to be optimistic about like what, what this can help us to do. And me too. Even on the kind of this marketing video example, it might be just me, but I'm more like, it feels like, Get rid of your like marketing chains because honestly, it might have not been the best use of your creativity and intellect to do those because some of those are just like, yeah, it's very mundane if you've done enough of them. So why not train, a, train an AI to do this and focus on something else? I feel it, it's very liberating. And yeah, in the end, we might have more free time to really solve complex problems that only we can solve. Exactly, exactly. Um, I'm just looking also at the time and uh, my notes, and I think we covered kind of everything I had. Like, is there anything you maybe also wanted to bring up to chat about? No, I mean, in the end, I'd, I mean, as as you know, I, I I'm pretty optimistic about those things, and I'm still cautious. You know, I'm not naive about what it can do, and I would really hope that designers, particularly, almost have this confidence like this creative confidence that it's not about just like oh we will not all won't have jobs it's like no we have great learning agility we have creativity and now we have amazing tools to to solve bigger problems 
that feels to me like a really good next step. And I know like everybody in the creative scene also talks about imposter syndrome and stuff like that. And I just feel like mm. it hits us exactly there. The first reaction is like, oh my God, I will be out of, like now I'm useless and now people don't need design anymore. And like, I don't think we just need to really evolve our role and apply design, as we always say, like to real problems that really need a solution and not just putting lipstick on a pig. I mean, like that's just, if you're <laughs> in the business of putting lipstick on a pig, yes. AI might take your job. Be happy because then you can do something else. Exactly. And this is not specific just to design. There's so many other communities that are going to be affected by this. And there were other professions that were already affected by this. And we can see the same pattern. I actually want to share something with you. So I read this book like, I don't know, four or five years ago. It's called like The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly. Mm -hmm. So Kevin Kelly is like the founder and I think the first writer of the Wired magazine. So there was, I think it was released in 2016, 17, something like this. It's called The 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future. Yeah. And I read it back then. And one of the chapters is about cognifying. Mm -hmm. So last week I went back to like, hey, let's read about AI again. Yeah. So one of the things he says in here is exactly about what you're just, uh, I think, trying to convey. So let me just quickly read this because it's super interesting. Mm -hmm. So I'm now reading. Here are the seven stages of robot replacement. Stage one, a robot cannot... Uh, so this is now kind of human speaking about how human is perceiving this. Uh, a robot cannot possibly do the tasks I do. Stage two. Okay, it can do a lot of those tasks, but it can't do everything I do. Stage three, okay, it can't do everything I do, except it needs me when it breaks down, which is often. <laughs> Stage four, okay, it operates flawlessly now uh, on routine stuff, but I need to train it for new tasks. Stage five, okay, okay, it can have my old boring job because it's obvious that that was not a job that humans were meant to do. Stage six, wow, now that robots are doing my old job, my new job is much more interesting and pays more. And then... Repeat, basically. Yes. That's so, it. And also, I think that, I mean, now replace AI with any new technological invention. If we would have this conversation during the Industrial Revolution, people would have said that even about the conveyor belt, saying like, yeah, yeah. it can build a car, but not, well, and, and suddenly like... Exactly. Yes, that's just like how it works. And knowing that, I think the, the cool thing, that's what I mean, like that I have more of a protopian perspective is... It will help us ideally to do more human, more fulfilling tasks to solve some of the complex problems. You know, we're not lacking problems at this very point. You know, we're having like <laughs> more than enough crisis in front of our door. And yeah. again, rendering a unicorn playing tennis will solve none of them. <laughs> but we can solve it with those technologies or we can at least attempt to solve it and come up with better solutions. I think that's a perfect spot to finish. So a unicorn playing tennis will not solve these things. No, it will not. Thanks, Franz. Thank that you. That was a blast. Cool.